Welcome back to the Beat a Better Ally podcast. I am Trisha Friedman, and this summer I am going to try something different. We are going to have a little bit of a mini series that looks into what we talk about when we talk about quote unquote difficult dialogue in schools. Something I've noticed about myself as a queer educator is the number of times, sadly, that I've chosen silence over having that quote unquote hard talk with a peer or perhaps a school leader. I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which we police ourselves with politeness. And so I wanted to learn from other educators. Is there a way that we can reframe difficult dialogue and think more about it as simply necessary? So across the next few episodes, you're going to hear educators discuss how we might embark on making that shift from difficult talks to embracing the necessary conversations that should have been happening, happening in schools all along. Our first guest is Justin Garcia, and they're going to introduce themselves and give you a bit of context about the work they do. Enjoy. Uh, my name is Justin Garcia. My pronouns are they, them. And I am a first grade teacher at uh, Chiang Mai International School in Northern Thailand. Great, thank you so much, Justin, for, for giving us your time. Uh, the intention of this podcast mini-series is really to reframe what I so often, you know, I've been guilty of saying this myself in education. I think sometimes when we're discussing gender or LGBTQ people, um, I hear it phrased as like, oh, that's a hard or that's a difficult conversation. And I think the reality that's really hitting me is that we need to stop thinking about those as hard conversations and start thinking of them as necessary conversations. So when you think back to when you were a student, do you have any memories about what you were taught when it comes to engaging in difficult conversations? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this um, yesterday I, quite a lot, actually. I was really trying to reach back to see what I could find um, in my past. And really, there, haven't, there, there wasn't anything that we were taught in school. Um, I, the, the only thing I could remember is in humanities class when I was a sophomore. And uh, I learned the difference between you and I statements when engaging with someone in conflict. And that's uh, really the only thing I was taught about having any type of difficult conversation. Um, we weren't really, we, there was no discussion about advocacy or social justice or equity. And as a student, you know, I was bullied quite a bit for being queer and femme and, um, I just kind of focused on keeping my head down. So I didn't really engage in anything. So I was more focused on survival than anything else. And then in your, your training as an educator, um, you know, I, this is sort of a, a separate podcast probably entirely, but I, I have mm -hmm. seen, and I'm sure you've probably seen as well, just this increasing debate about whether or not school is a political place and whether it is a place mm -hmm. Um, you know, where that sort of debate happens, 
And I'm wondering when you think back to your specific training as an educator or even any professional development you've engaged with um, recently, what do you think are some of the either overt or covert messages you've received as an educator about whether or not school is a, is a political place? In my training as an educator, um, especially in Arizona, where a large population of students um, ha are Spanish speaking and are from Mexico, um, are from, and there's a lot of politics surrounding citizenship and immigration there. Surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of uh, discussion about the politics surrounding that and how that affects school. And I think when I realized how strongly political school is, was when I started becoming more comfortable and accepting of my own identity. And then I just realized that schools and institutions were not designed to meet the needs of people like me and um, or aspects of myself. And the more I dug into that and the more I leaned into that, uh, the more I realized that schools and institutions um, were not designed to fit a lot of people's needs. Really, they only were designed to meet the needs of very few people. So I think that's that's when I kind of realized, you know, that this is uh, an inherently political place. And then just the messages that we receive in school and how we're taught and what we're taught um, all kind of feeds into that. Uh, and I think, you know, probably as part of your leaning into that, I am guessing that you must have had to have had some, uh, you know, again, what we would maybe earlier have been referring to as hard conversations, but I'm really hoping, you know, in light of, of sort of bringing these conversations to the surface that we'll start to see them as necessary. Um, yeah. if, you, if you left the world of education tomorrow um, and you were reflecting back on your career as an educator, can you identify for us maybe what has been your most profound difficult conversation? I think one of the most difficult conversations I have had was about representing um, different people and stories in the classroom. And these stories would be, you know, in this particular case, it was a lot of stories uh, revolving around gender and identity and characters of different genders and in different gender identities. And that was a really difficult conversation to have with administrators because um, it felt very one-sided and it felt, uh, kind of felt like I was being placed under under a magnifying glass and I was very scrutinized and I'll never forget being told you know if something happens like if a parent complains or if something happens we cannot protect you 
And that really struck me because it made just gave me a feeling of, of isolation and feeling of being alone and that I was just kind of in this by myself. Um, so I think that's, that's the biggest, uh, most difficult conversation that I think that I've experienced in reflecting on this question. Mm. And I'm guessing that's probably not the last difficult conversation um, that, that you have had and uh, that you might continue to have. So either moving forward from that conversation or you yeah. know, thinking ahead even to, to next year, did that help you in any way with then having the next difficult conversation? Was there anything that you sort of learned from that, that experience? Yeah, you know, uh, being in Thailand, I looked up, I called a lawyer immediately after that, <laughs> to be honest. I, um, so I was like, you know, what are, what are, I didn't really know what my rights were here, what, what was protecting me here from a legal standpoint. And it turns out um, there are laws in Thailand that uh, protect me and protect uh, people in the workplace from discrimination based off of their gender and sexuality. Um, so that statement was incorrect. Like, I can be protected. You can protect me. Um, so I think that really uh, helped me understand legally what my rights are and how to use those as talking points, not like threatening or anything like that, but just understanding that can help me guide um, future, has helped me guide future conversations uh, that I've had. And I'm, I'm wondering, because I think, um, you know, speaking for myself personally, I think early on in my career, when I had those conversations, when someone was sort of hinting to me, like, you know, you better not bring this up or that might not work out for you professionally. I definitely think like early on when I was just in my early twenties, my instinct was to be quiet, to then not yeah. or not have that conversation. And I'm wondering for you, like, yeah, I think that's great. Like check out your rights, like know, know if you are protected or not. Can you talk a little bit to what helped what helped you go in that direction rather than, oh, well, then I better just be quiet? That's a great question. Um, you know, at, at that point on Twitter and personally, I, I was really reading into more stories of, of people that were like me, you know, gender, queer, or non-binary educators and queer educators and uh, learning about their experiences and the more I learned, the more I was able to you know, connect my experiences with others. And um, it kind of set me down a path of just information gathering. You know, if uh, how am I protected specifically here as a, a foreigner in a different country? What, is, what do my rights look like? Because I know what my rights are in the US. Um, and the school is a U.S. school, but it operates under Thai law. So, um, you know, I had all these questions and I just went on like an information gathering mission to figure all of this out. And that, that kind of links nicely into the, the next question because, you know, again, the, 
the work that you mentioned that you were trying to do just in terms of, you know, addressing identity and talking about all the kinds of people that exist in your classroom, you know, there, there are people who are, there are educators who might be listening and thinking, I want to do that too. I also maybe want to either prepare or think about what happens if there is pushback with that. And I think, um, you know, inevitably, I, I do think it could be a colleague, it could be a parent, it could be um, an administrator, as in your example. So what advice would you have to somebody who's listening to you and thinking, well, I also think those conversations are important to have in the classroom. And I also want to make sure I am prepared in case, you know, that kind of turns into a quote unquote difficult conversation. What advice might you have for that educator? Yeah, I think the biggest advice I would give educators, uh, and I think this would apply to educators in the U.S. and internationally, is uh, first know know your rights, know what um, laws do protect you, because chances are there are um, laws in place or policies in place um, that will be helpful to you. Um, but also, the more I've found personally from experience, the more difficult conversations I've had, the better I get at having them. Um, practice is is really key. And in school, I would, you know, when I was in teacher's college, I, we weren't um, talking about having these conversations. I've never really uh, engaged in people around issues of gender and identity before, but the more I do it, the better I get at it. The more I read, the, the more I'm informed. Um, so practice is really, is really crucial, but also it's, I think it's easy, especially for new teachers just to silence themselves. Like what we talked about, oh, I guess I just better not talk about this because I'll get in trouble. But silence is a form of enabling um, these um, silence is a form of, of enabling um, these transgressions to keep happening and we can't be silent anymore uh, we it's not and it's not just standing up for ourselves it's standing up more importantly for our students too because they don't have you know that um, ability to really talk to especially young, I'm coming from a perspective of young kids to talk to admin or to um, organize or to you know, help change policy. Um, it's a lot more difficult for them. So uh, as scary as it may seem, these conversations are really necessary. Um, and yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that sums it up. <laughs> I yeah, answered all parts of your <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you absolutely did. And I, you know, I love your point about practice. And I don't know if you have found this, but you know, I have found that um, there is so much resistance almost within our field for educators, you know, even if it's just colleague to colleague to push through that silence. Um, you know, in, in the past few years of, of my career, basically I've been running a lot of professional development workshops and conferences. And it's really just been in the past few years that I've been doing a lot of work around LGBTQ plus inclusion. 
And mm. it's amazed me how often, you know, I will sort of try to set up a conversation where people can be vulnerable, you know, we, we can actually have dissent because I, I kind of think unless there is some tension and some people getting uncomfortable, there's maybe not necessarily a lot of learning happening. Um, and I, I feel like the more intentional I've been with that, um, the more it kind of happens, but it really does feel like a lot of heavy lifting in order to get teachers to feel safe enough to really do that. And I'm wondering for somebody who's listening to you and they take your point about practicing, um, could you maybe even just give us a better idea of, of what that sort of looks and sounds like? Um, you know, is that something that you would do with someone that you co-teach or is that something that you would recommend doing first and foremost with a good friend just for somebody who's like you know what actually i love that idea justin thank you i also want to practice having these conversations um how would you recommend they set about doing that yeah uh, starting with a, uh, a close friend is a really great way to um is really a great way to get started. It's, it's kind of, I, mean, I just thought of interviewing, you know, when I um, was interviewing for positions, I would interview with a friend before interviewing with a, a new school, you know, um, just to help your, it helped me articulate my thoughts and my ideas and it helped me, me organize what I wanted to say before the actual interview. So if you know you're going to have uh, maybe a difficult conversation with your admin or a colleague, practice with a friend first who, you know, is an ally and who's on your side. I think that's a really great way to organize your, your thoughts. Um, and uh, for me personally, I'm just the one to, to kind of just jump in. <laughs> like just, do, just like to just do it. And, uh, and that of course may not work for everybody. So, but knowing that you know the first time you might engage with someone about this say a principal or a superintendent or, or even a uh, another colleague it may not go well the first time it may not go as you planned or you might stumble um and fumble with words but it just gives you more um more knowledge and more practice for when it happens in the future. I know the first time I had a conversation like this with admin a few years ago, I certainly was a lot less articulate articulate than I am uh, now. So just knowing that the first few times it may not uh, go very smoothly, but you know, it gets better the more you, you do it and it gets better the more you know too. I love that point. And I think, you know, it's also important to remember maybe see it as you're starting a dialogue. You know, I, I've had that experience that you just described too, where, oh, that did not go the way I thought it was going to go. But you can also invite somebody to continue that dialogue. You know, that's something that I would hope in schools um, we, we see happening all the time where, you know, that just that idea of unlearning, learning, let's come back to that idea. Um, you know, I, I yeah. want to ask you about this cliche that we hear all the time. Uh, you know, I feel like I've probably even used it where we tell people, bring your whole mm -hmm. self to work. Um, and I'm wondering if, if you could speak to 
either it doesn't necessarily need to be the school that you're currently at, but just, um, you know, you've worked at a few different schools. To what extent do you think that's truly possible for everyone to do? You know, it's, it's really, it's really not. Um, it's, it's only possible if you fit into a very specific um, mold of a teacher. I think specifically if you're uh, white and heterosexual and cisgender, you can bring yourself to work. And some examples that support that are, you know, in many schools, cis-hetero um, teachers can talk about their spouses and they can bring pictures in of their, of their spouses and their children. And um, they can talk about, you know, what they've experienced from, from their point of view. But, you know, I'm grateful to be in a school now where I'm able to, you know, share my um, husband, Barack, and uh, be open about that. Um, but not a lot of people have that that same luxury. So, you know, bringing your whole self to work really only works for a certain group of people. Um, for because I think people fear that you know talking about uh, a same-sex relationship or talking about social justice or or, or equity and civil rights uh, then becomes too political. But those are pieces, very large pieces of people's identities. Um, not just teachers, but also of students as well. Um, and I think once those aspects of people's identities are able to be shared and learned from and explored is when we can truly bring our whole selves to work. In order to get to that place where we are, uh, you know, anyone is able to really talk fully about their identity. Can you think of one or two other difficult conversations that need to happen within a school community to prepare them to be able to do that? The, one of the first things that educators need to come to terms with, just both teachers and administrators, is um, the I almost said natural discomfort, but it's not natural. It's a learned discomfort mm. of having these conversations, for instance, about um, social justice and equity and race in the classroom uh, or gender identity and um, sexuality. And that's a discomfort that we have learned as adults and pro we project that onto um, our students. And I think the first thing that we need to do as educators is lean into that discomfort and look inward and ask ourselves, why is this, dis why is this uncomfortable for me? Why is it difficult for me to have this conversation with students? Um, and I'm not the only one in this. Other teachers have had these conversations with, with their students and um, the uh, feedback and the output was incredible. Uh, kids are more than capable of, of learning and about 
these issues that we're really facing today and have always faced. Um, and it's just a matter of the adults kind of getting over their discomfort and fear. So I think educators need to first ask themselves, you know, why? why what, what's scary about this? And I think until then, until we ask ourselves that question, um, we're really not able to have those conversations. And I, I think that really points back to where we started in this conversation, mm -hmm. you know, as you were saying, as a student yourself, there wasn't really a lot um, that you that you learned about pushing through that discomfort um, or even addressing why does this conversation make me feel afraid or why does it make me uncomfortable? Um, you know, I, I absolutely I'm right there with you. I, I think that learned discomfort for me is in part because as a student, I don't have that experience of, of talking about this. So I think, you know, even though I'm 40 years old, it's still, um, you know, my schooling was so different from the schooling that I think students today, you know, as you say, we just get a little more real and get a little more authentic with them than perhaps um, I'll speak for, for myself, you know, than, than my teachers might have done. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's really all the way up till high school and, and university age, really. Um, yeah, you know, we need to get real. We need to get real because I, I, I could just, um, you know, as an adult, and I'm sure both as both of us as adults who've been through the school system, um, growing up, we're, or now we're, we're grown up, we're adults, we're reflecting on what we've learned in school and we're just like, what the hell? This isn't the way the world works. And, you know, we need to do our students that, that service and to being real with them and showing them like, this is what you look, what in the current system, what kids are learning in school does not reflect what people experience out beyond the classroom. You know, so um, not teaching that is really is really a disservice, I think, to our kids. I, I agree, and I think you know, if we're talking about LGBTQ plus issues, I think it is you know a question that I would put to admin is is school a place and a space where we're going to learn about everyone that exists, or are we going to pretend like some people in the world, um, you know, don't don't exist at all? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I am hoping that people are listening and they are thinking, all right, I'm kind of inspired to, to do the brave thing, to do the authentic thing, to do, as you say, you know, get more real with my students. Are there any resources that you would recommend that educators check out if they are also interested in making this pivot from hard conversation to necessary conversation? Yeah. I, uh... And I think the biggest thing educators can do is just to learn more about it. And um, there are so many incredible voices out there sharing their experiences and sharing um, uh, ways just that we can have different difficult conversations about um, queerness and social justice in the classroom. I think one of the biggest resources that I've been uh, digging into uh, this summer is the um, 
Leading Equity podcast by Sheldon Eakins. And uh, that has, there's over a hundred episodes and they're all about social justice and and education and equity and education. And uh, that's given me a lot of tools and talking points uh, that I've been using with colleagues and administrators. Um, so I think that's that's been the biggest thing. But then also the, the second is Twitter. Um, I know not a lot of people have Twitter and it can be pretty overwhelming to use at first, but uh, once you follow a few uh, specific people or resources or educators, um, you start getting very centralized information that, that's geared towards your needs. Um, so I've been really digging into that as well and reaching out to, to different people on Twitter and learning about other people's stories. And that's been a huge resource for me. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because of course, the way that I know you, Justin, is actually of course through Twitter and specifically yeah. through yeah. Um, the, the chat that, that you started and uh, it's hashtag queer EDU chat. And I, I, what I love so much about, there's many things I love about the chat, but what I love is that it is usualizing educators coming together and talking a little bit about these issues. Because I think, you know, when, when we think of Twitter chats, um, you know, there are some that are good, there are some that are not so good, but yours is one of mm-hmm. the very few where um, these critical conversations are happening. And I wonder if you have any news to share about queer EDU chat, either for the summer or for next academic year um, that, that we can get listeners excited about. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate you um, taking the time to shout out the queer EDU chat. And that started really because um, I noticed that I, I wanted to have these conversations with teachers, but I didn't have a space to do it in. And I really looked into Twitter and was like, okay, there's gotta be a space somewhere. Is there something available? And there wasn't any. So I figured why not start it then instead of wait to see if it'll come up at some point. Um, so yeah, queer EDU chat, the next uh, one will be in August but you can check the um, website. Maybe I can give you um, the website to link in the podcast notes or in your website Um, because the the archive has all of the past chats. So you can check out some of the questions and and people's responses and you can always, um, any, any participant can always chime in now with the hashtag to answer questions. It doesn't have to be at the specific time, but the next one will be in, in August. I don't have a host yet for it, but you know that information will, will be available as soon as it comes to me. Uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. So Justin, if, if someone is listening and they have an idea or they would like to host, would you want them to mm-hmm. sort of ping you on Twitter with that? Yeah, sure. Just for a little context, um, queer EDU chat is, uh, we have it every month, usually the first uh, week of every month, but we have a different host every month. So it really depends on their schedule. And anybody who wants to host, it's uh, queer people or allies um, can, and the topic is of, of their choice. So every every month we have a different topic, a different facilitator, um, and the format is totally up to the facilitator as well. And if uh, anybody's ever interested in hosting, 
um, feel free to reach out to me at Twitter. My Twitter is at uh, crewjustin, that's K-R-U-U underscore Justin. And uh, I'm more than happy to, yeah, hear from you. Great, thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate your time. We're gonna include all the information um, about the chat because I, I think it's a great resource. And, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, if, if you're wondering what kind of things educators share when we are talking about these issues, maybe even just lurk. I think that's a great baby step for some people yeah. who, um, who are, are thinking like, ooh, is that difficult? Uh, I think they'll come to your chat and realize, no, it's necessary. So that's a perfect example. Mm, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and the, there's been probably over a dozen chats already, so you can just go through it and read some people's responses, and some people have really shared some amazing, amazing things. Thank you so much to Justin Garcia for sharing some wonderful things. Head on over to the show notes to explore the podcast that Justin recommended, as well as to learn more about the phenomenal Queer EDU chat that Justin organizes. Take care. <laughs>